Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. Ah, super excited to be here. I'm thankful for the reality and the truth that we serve a living God, right? We don't serve an idea, a concept, a philosophy, but we love and serve Christ who is risen from the dead. Amen? This morning we're looking at uh, Mary Magdalene, who's a very interesting character in Scripture. And I hope, my desire for this morning is that through the story of Mary Magdalene, we can come to understand and see just how powerfully precious our lives are to Christ, our risen Lord. I, um, you know, as I've shared before, I'm kind of a child of the 60s, so I don't know what kids are listening to these days, so I have to just kind of go to my go-tos, and I want to share another, yet another, Beatles lyric with you this morning, kind of launch things off, Um, and I'm sure you all recognize it. It's uh, nowhere, man. And, and I'll just read a couple of the verses. It says, he's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? And don't we all at some level kind of struggle with who we are, what our place is in the world, whether or not we matter, whether or not we make a difference in the world. You know, it's interesting that the, John Lennon and Paul McCartney pinned these lyrics. I mean, you don't write lyrics unless on some level you relate to them, right? And then they even say in the verse, the, that last little line, isn't he a bit like you and me? I mean, these guys have hit it. They're the biggest pop stars in history, are they not? Right? I mean, just the, their timing, the way it all went down for the Beatles. I don't think there's ever going to be a, a pop star or a musical act that is going to compare to the, the amount of success that they had. And yet inside, in their inner lives, they feel like a nowhere man. They relate to that on some level. And I think all of us, on some level, it's like, man, what is, what is the meaning of my life? Will it make a difference? Will my life mean something? Maybe for my kids, my grandkids. I have, uh, the other day, I had this Mac Mini sitting on my desk that, that belonged to my dad. My dad passed away a few Christmases ago, and it's been sitting there on the desk waiting for me to kind of log in and, and go through his stuff that he has on that Mac Mini. And I, the other day, I started going through the photos in his photo library, and you know, there's all these little snippets of his life. And thinking about that, and, and as I, I was going through that, I thought, is there going to be a day when my son or my, one of my grandsons are going to be going through some, you know, maybe it'll be a Mac Mini that's this big by then, I don't know. Um, they'll be going through my digital life, right? And, and will it have mattered? Will there have been any kind of significance to it? And why will it matter? I mean, is my life truly, powerfully precious to the Lord? 
Does it make any difference? And I think through Mary Magdalene, in kind of a similar way, we get these, there's not a lot of verses about her life, but we get these little pictures, these snippets of her life, kind of like the pictures I've seen of my dad's life. And she shows up in some of the most profound moments in Scripture. And she has such an impact and such a significance in the life and ministry of Christ. So as we look at her life this morning, I really hope that you kind of pick up on that and we'll draw some lessons from her and hopefully walk away with a greater sense of who we are in Christ. So let's start. We're going to start with uh, this first snippet. The first photo is in Luke 8, chapter 8, verse 1. Luke 8, chapter, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, and this is kind of early to mid in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is out, you know, move, preaching throughout Galilee and, and healing people and setting people free from spiritual bondage and, and just in, in the prime of his ministry. And it leads off in chapter 8. It says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Jonah, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So this is our first introduction to Mary Magdalene. A couple things to point out here. Number one, Mary Magdalene Jesus had personally ministered to her and set her free from seven demons. Okay, that's, that's pretty hardcore, right? If, you're, if your life is possessed by seven demons, you don't have a lot to hope for at that point, right? You don't have a sense at all of the value and preciousness of your life when your life is possessed and driven and controlled by seven demons. It's interesting, seven is a significant number. I don't want to make too much of that. But it is interesting that it's particularly seven demons, which has that, has that sense of totality, completeness, as in being fully and completely possessed and controlled by these demons, right? And yet, she has an encounter with the living Christ, and Jesus sets her free from all these demons completely. She goes from being completely possessed to being completely dispossessed of demons from spiritual darkness, and belongs to the Lord. So that's the first thing we learn about Mary Magdalene. Also notice that she is among a group of women. And each time she's mentioned in, in these passages that we're going to look at, she's, amid, she's among this group of mem- women, but she's always mentioned first, and she's always mentioned. Sometimes it's Mary Magdalene and a group of women. Sometimes it's Mary Magdalene and then these specific women but she's always mentioned first and she's always named, right? Which means she, she's significant. She's significant to all four uh, gospel writers. And why is she significant? Why did her life mean so much, right? Well, one of the first clues in terms of answering that question, why is her life so powerfully precious, is that Mary Magdalene and this group of women provided for them out of their means. Who's them? Jesus and his disciples. So Mary Magdalene, the ringleader of this group of women, are providing for the ministry of Christ, right? You want to understand and walk in just how precious your life is to Christ? 
provide for the ministry of his church. Right, and right away we go, oh, here goes a preacher talking about, you know, giving money. Right, you know, we don't, Robert taught on giving, and here at this church, we don't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your money, right? He has, he has all of creation. He created the universe. But you know what? If you understand how precious you are to Jesus, you'll understand that giving yourself to his ministry, giving yourself to his life, the life of his church, is significant. It makes a difference. We're talking about Mary Magdalene 2,000 years later. Why? Because she got this group of women together, presumably, or she's kind of a, a first mention of this group of women who provide for the ministry of Jesus. So, are you engaged in the ministry of Christ? Do you in some way provide for it? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. I guarantee you, you start to sacrifice your time, your resources, your treasures into the ministry of Christ, you're going to discover that your heart is in his ministry and his ministry is in your heart. But you keep the ministry of Christ at arm distance. I don't want to go too far, man. I don't want to get a little bit too cultish, right? I don't want to get like too involved. I don't want too much of my life to you know, be involved in that. You know what? You get out what you put in, right? To, to use a common phrase. And, and Mary Magdalene was not afraid to put it all in. The other thing I want to point out about Mary Magdalene and this group of women is that they are women of substance. They are women of means. They have financial means, right? Also, notice that it says, uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. These are not only are women of means, but they're women of status. They have a position in society, okay? So these are, these are significant women who are giving what they have in terms of resources to the ministry of Christ, right? These are not women who are just, you know, they got nowhere else to go. They're homeless, and, they, and so, you know, they're just going to hang with this dude who's, who's going around, you know, healing people. But these are women of means, of position, and that means they are making a sacrifice. They are stepping into the, the, the ministry of Christ in a way that means real sacrifice and real, a real turn and change in their life. So that's snapshot number one. We're going to jump to Matthew 27:55, And now this is jumping all the way forward in Jesus' ministry to the point of his crucifixion. Okay, and Jesus is being crucified and uh, there's a group of wi- women there who are witnessing this, his crucifixion. Matthew 27, 55 says, There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So once again, Mary is mentioned... Again, a group of women, this case Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of sons of Zebedee. But she's mentioned first. She's preeminent in this group. Okay? And what are they doing? They are witnessing, they are observing, they're looking at this crushing, horrible, awful 
experience of seeing their Lord, the one who had who had set them free from oppression, who had saved them from complete uh, possession by demonic spiritual forces being horribly crucified and killed. And they're there to witness that, right? It, It really speaks to, and what you get kind of with the theme of Mary Magdalene is that she's all in no matter what even in the shock and horror of seeing her Lord crucified. So she's all completely in. So a couple things I want to I point out here. Number one, notice that there were also many women looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee. What were they doing as they followed Jesus from Galilee? They were ministering to him. So these are substantial women who are ministering to Jesus as he's traveling and and exercising his his public ministry. You don't ever hear, I don't, you can correct me maybe afterwards if, if if I've missed it, but I can't think of a verse where it says the disciples were ministering to Jesus, right? Mostly the disciples were either fighting with each other, grumbling about what was going on, or, or questioning and doubting what Jesus was trying to do, right? But it never says they were ministering to Jesus. But Mary Magdalene, they, as they're traveling with Jesus, they minister to Jesus. So a key point here is in order to understand how powerfully precious your life is to Christ, I challenge you, I encourage you, I exhort you to invest yourself in the ministry of Jesus' church, to minister in his church, to support his church, to give your time and resources to his church. Why? Because, because the church needs it? Because Jesus will you know, fall apart if you don't do that? No, because that's what will make your life powerful. If you look at people who are powerful in scripture, powerful in ministry, powerful in history, right? They were engaged in the ministry of God and the church of Christ. You want your life to count for something beyond your son one day looking, you know, cleaning, putting together your digital life and archiving it for, I don't know why, for, my, for the duration of what's left of my life? Is that it? Is that the sum total of what we're going to live for? Or do you want your life to ring through eternity as a faithful disciple and servant of the Lord who is risen and who's alive today? He is with us now. I so inspired by the last song we sung. It, it talked about Jesus is here with us right now, turning our lives around. Right? So often I think we think in terms of the idea of Jesus, our own imagination of what Jesus is and forget that. No, no. He is here right now. He is alive. He is risen from the grave. And to have a powerfully significant precious life means to really tap into that. And you tap into that by being engaged in and involved in his church. That his presence on, in this world today is his church. And the power of the Holy Spirit. So, that's number two about Mary Magdalene that they, they ministered to Jesus. They supported his ministry financially, and they ministered to him. They ministered, and for us to minister in his church will, will 
take our lives, the significance of our lives, to places we can't even really even imagine or foresee right now. I encourage you to really take that in and, and, and chew on that. Also notice that they stayed and, and looked at and meditated on the death of Christ, even though it was a horrific, devastating experience for them. They don't know the end of this story. They, they've been, Jesus has taught over and over and over again that he is going to rise from the dead, that on the third day he would rise. And yet, I think they had, the disciples are just like us, right? There's a sense in which it's almost too good to be true. Like they're keeping that sort of at arm's distance. They're kind of in denial about that because like, really, Jesus, you're going to rise from the dead and restore the kingdom and elevate us into being priests of your, of your kingdom? Is that really what's going to happen? And there's a part of them that just, for, for the joy of it, disbelieves. It's just almost too good to be true. And I think that... that um, as we meditate on the death of Christ, there's three things that we can recognize, that we can see, and I think this is why Jesus institutes communion. Number one, recognize that your life is precious enough for him to go to the cross and die for your sins. Right, number one. Number two, what is the, how horrible are our sins that the creator of the heavens and earth would go to the cross and die in our place? To, to ransom us, to pay the price of our sins, that our sins are horrible enough that it would cost the Christ, the life of Christ. And number three, um, I forgot number three, to be quite honest. Number three, but, but uh, the, the key idea here is as we meditate on the, the, the death of Christ, Think about communion. Let's, let's just go this way. Let's think about communion. Jesus says, look, remember me. How do we remember him? He says, take this bread broken for you and eat it, right? That's intense, like taking in the death of Christ. Why does he want us to take that in so much? Take this cup, which represents my blood poured out for you. Why the focus on this? Why, so, why the focus on this gory event of his body being broken and the blood? Right? Because A, it represents our salvation. It represents him paying for and atoning for our sin. And B, inherent in it is the promise of resurrection. That because of his death, we have the hope of eternity before us. We have the hope of belonging to him forever. And we'll, we're going to dig in more, I think, with that. But let's move on to the next, next uh, image that we see Continuing in that same verse, a chapter, verse 57, says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. Notice they are disciples of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and these women. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So once again, Mary, Mary Magdalene is significant in the life and ministry of Christ. 
She's significant even at the death, the crucifixion of Christ. And then now Jesus has been laid to the, in the tomb. And who's there? Mary Magdalene. She's just, she's devoted to Christ. She loves him. Okay? Bottom line, she just loves him. She cannot get enough with him. And now in the shock and horror of him being crucified, all she wants to do is be with him, even if it means just being with this corpse, being with this dead body that's been torn up and shredded. Right? She can't, she can't leave him. Notice that it says Joseph went away. He went home. He put Jesus in the tomb, rolled the stone over, burial done, went home. But what does Mary do? She just stayed. She's just in grief, and she's just staying with Jesus. We're going to jump to um, John 20, John chapter 20. This is the third day after Jesus' crucifixion. And Mary, presumably at some point, has, has had to go home to be home for the Sabbath day. And it begins in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So notice, the first, who's the first one at the tomb? Mary was the last one there at the tomb. And then early, early in the morning, before the sun rises in the dark, the earliest moment she can get back to being in the tomb, Mary Magdalene is the back of the tomb. She's just devoted to Christ. She loves Christ. And even in death, she has nowhere better to be than to be, be with Christ. But this is the first sort of inkling, hey, maybe that thing that's too good to be true, maybe that thing that we've kind of kept out of our mind because it's too good to be true, maybe there's something there, maybe there's something happening. And what happened is my iPad just suddenly stopped. That was interesting. doesn't normally do that. <laughs> uh, so, let me read that verse again. Now on the first day, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Like, oh, okay, something's happening here. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciples outran, Pe outran Peter and reached the tomb first. When stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. See, so notice that, that transition that they're beginning to make. It's like Jesus had been telling them, look, I'm rising. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise from the dead. But they're not really taking that in. They don't quite get that. They don't believe it. They're not believing the scripture. But now that the it's the third day, just as he said, and now the tomb's empty. And it's like, whoa, maybe this is really happening. Maybe what Jesus has promised is really happening. He's not in the tomb. And it, and it says, 
and, and they're looking and they're kind of in awe and wonder and they're beginning to believe, right? The disciples are beginning to believe. Then the, and then catch this, then the disciples went back to their home. But guess what Mary did? Without looking. <laughs> Can you guess? Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she wept. And as she wept, she stepped and stooped to look into the tomb. Mary just stayed there. Right? She's beginning to say, okay, this is this, this something's up. Something's happening. The disciples look and Jesus is not there. And then they leave. John and Peter, boom, they leave. But Mary, she's just, she's just in grief. But at the same time, like, there's something happening. There's this transition and she's weeping. It's like, where's my Lord? But she doesn't fully, hasn't really fully got it yet. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Can you just hear the grief and the passion that Mary has for Jesus? They've taken the body of my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And she's talking to a couple of angels, right? Mostly, usually when angels show up, people just fall out. They're just like comatose, trembling in fear, shaking in the armor. But Mary's just like, where's my Lord? It's interesting, that image. I won't go too much into this, but I'll just touch it briefly. Picture two angels sitting on either side of where Jesus was laying. Okay, if you were, if you were able to go into the temple in Jerusalem and go past the curtain that only the high priest could go past one time a year, the Holy of Holies, what you would see is you would see the Ark of the Covenant, and on the center, at the top of the Ark of the Covenant, is the, the, um, the seat okay, of the sacrifice. Okay? And on either side are two cherubim, two angels. That's what's pictured in the Holy of Holies, Right? That's exactly what Mary sees in the tomb. She sees where Jesus had been laid, the sacrifice, the lamb, and two angels sitting on either side of it. Right? So that's you know, God using the pattern, the picture, to foreshadow the reality. He does that over and over all through Scripture. So, powerful image. But Mary's like, where's my Lord? Where's Jesus? And And... Let's look at the answer. That uh, Picking up again at 13. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? It's interesting, whom are you seeking? Are you seeking the Lord this morning as Mary Magdalene sought the Lord? I tell you, if you spend your life seeking after the Lord, it's our first word in our mission statement, seek God, right? If we spend our lives seeking after the Lord, our life will have so much powerful, precious value and significance that reigns through all of eternity. Whom are you seeking, Mary? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, 
and I will take him away. Mary is, and you could speculate all, all about this, right? Why, why does Mary not in, immediately recognize him? May, part of it is that sort of too good to be true for the joy of it, just disbelieving. Part of it could be she's just so brought with grief and broken down. For whatever reason, she doesn't recognize Jesus right away. But, but here's the moment. The moment is right here. Jesus calls her name. She says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And notice she turned. She, this is the second time she turned. First she turned and saw Jesus but didn't recognize him. And now she turns. She hears Jesus say her name and she turns. And she says, Rabboni. She said, Jesus, I, you're here. You are alive. You're not the historical Jesus. You're not the idea of Jesus. You're not my memory of Jesus. You're here right now in front of me. Hallelujah, Jesus has risen. Praise the Lord. We do not worship an idea. We do not worship a philosophy. Our lives are not enriched by some intellectual ascension to the truth. We are connected and related to a living Christ. He is alive today. I love that song we just sang. He is here among us, changing our lives, right? And, and my prayer this morning, even as we uh, continue to worship, is that you, the Holy Spirit will make that real for you. There's no English word I have that's going to make that real for you. It's a work of the Spirit for you to get that Jesus knows right now, this moment, what I'm saying. He knows exactly this moment that what you're thinking about. He knows your challenges, your struggles, what you're anxious about, what you're grieved about, what you're hopeful about, what you dream for. He knows all those things right this very moment. He is alive. He is risen. That is the lesson that Mary gives us. She recognizes that he is alive. The person of Christ. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Okay, for a Jewish person, that phrase right there is incredibly profound. Because all the way through Scripture, God is telling his people, I am making for myself a people. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And he keeps repeating that. God repeats that all the way through the Old Testament over and over and over again in one form of that or another. That's God's whole mission. His whole purpose in creating the universe is to make a people for himself that he would be our God. right? And Jesus is declaring the fulfillment of that in this very moment. Notice he says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. I'm ascending to my Father who, and your Father. Because of me, because I have just given my life on the cross and paid for your sin, I am now ascending to my Father who is also your Father. My God who is also your God. I have brought you into the family of God. You have a Father in heaven now because of my sacrifice and resurrection. You belong to me. You belong to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whether you really understand the depth of that or not, you do. And that is what makes your life preciously powerful. 
and why your life will extend way beyond the memory of your children, your grandchildren. You know, we've done the exercise before. None of us remember the first name of our great-grandparents, maybe one or two of them, right? But Jesus remembers your name. Jesus died for you, and he brought you into the family. You belong to the holy family of God. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, precious to him, right? Because of who Christ is, and Mary Magdalene gets it. In this moment, she gets it in such a deep and profound way. You might be sitting there going, well, you know, that's fine for Mary Magdalene. She saw the living Lord in the flesh, worshipped him, touched his feet. Jesus said, come on, Mary, you have a mission to do. Go and tell the disciples, give them this message. But she touched him, she saw him, she saw him in the flesh. What about me? I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. How is it that we can recognize and understand that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the dead, that he is present with us in the worst parts of our life, in the challenging parts of the life, in the best parts of our life? How do we know that? Jesus says in, um, he's talking to his disciples. Uh, this comes from John, kind of all the way through John 14, 15. We're not going to look at all of that, but I'm just going to highlight a one section for you, starting in John 14, 15. Jesus talking to disciples, and this is just before he's arrested. So these are like the last messages Jesus is giving to his disciples. So this is real critical. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. In fact, the very next verse, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is saying, look, you're in, man. If you've put your hope and faith in Christ, you are in. This is what makes our lives preciously powerful. You are in Christ, who is in the Father, and he is in you. You're in, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you've claimed him, if you've put your hope and faith in the Lord, He goes on to say in verse 22, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? This is our question, right? Lord, how can I get that you are right here with me in whatever aspect of life that I'm in right now? Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you love the Lord... By the way, loving the Lord and obey him, notice Jesus used those completely interconnectedly. You can't have one without the other. If you say you love God and yet hate your brother, the truth is not in you, John says. Right? So to love the Lord is to obey him. To obey him is to trust him. To trust him is to have faith in him. To have faith in him is to love him. You just go around that circle all the time. Right? I love the Lord, well, because I love him, I obey him. As I obey him, I realize the depth of love that he has for me, right? And that encourages and builds up 
faith in me and I believe him for more. Right? That's just how it works. That's how our relationship is defined with Jesus. If you have that relationship with him, then Jesus says, look, my father and I will come and make our home with you. You belong. You have a home. You will never be homeless in Christ. You may lose everything in this world. You may be homeless in this world, but you will never be homeless in Christ. And that's forever. In, his, in my father's house are many mansions. All right? You will never be homeless in Christ. And the Father himself will create a home in us. They will dwell in us. They make our home in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. This is how we walk in the presence of Christ. And walking in the presence of Christ is what brings precious, powerful significance to our life. Amen? Amen. Do we need the Holy Spirit this morning? to recognize the living Christ who is among us in this very moment. Absolutely. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit that He would really speak to our hearts and help, help us to know in our spirit that Jesus is alive and that we are precious to Him. Lord God, I just I, I thank You for the example of Mary Magdalene, who just could not get enough of you, Lord, who just gave her life to your ministry, to serving your church, to be engaged in the fellowship of her brothers and sisters, her fellow disciples, Lord. Lord, I thank you for her example of wanting to just be with you no matter what, and thick and thin at the moment of your death, And at the moment of your resurrection, she is the first one, the first person on this earth to see you resurrected in Christ. Father, and I want to encourage the women this morning. Father, there are so many challenges that I'll never know to being a woman. And to being a woman in the church and in the ministry, Father, is challenging. God, I thank you for the example of Mary, God, that she is a woman of substance, a woman of, of, of position, and that she saw ministering to you as the highest call, way beyond any position she could have in this world. Father, she saw you as the highest position, the highest call on her life. And for each of us, Lord, I pray that we would recognize how powerfully precious our life is to you. Father, how much you desire us, God. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross, God, that you would make a nation, God, that you would make us a people, a holy nation, priests to your kingdom. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, as we worship you, that you would move in our hearts in a way that we would go beyond what we can explain, go beyond our own minds, Father, and, only, and, and that we would just be left with the reality and the realization that you are alive, Jesus, that you rose from the dead, God, and that you are here now in this moment walking amongst us, even as you walked amongst the seven lampstands. Even today you are walking amongst your church. 
tending to and minding your church, Father, present with us, the Father making his home in our hearts, God. In your son's name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.